Welcome to the Montgomery Community Church Podcast. Thank you so much for listening today. We hope this message encourages you and inspires you to grow deeper in your faith. If you'd like to learn more about MCC, you can visit our website at mcc.church. Obviously, the students and young adults are in the house. So good morning. Good morning again. Welcome to everyone that is in the building. Those of you who are watching online, I am so excited to be with you guys today. Shout out to Pastor Phil as he is on a much needed respite at this moment and thankful to him as our lead pastor for allowing me this opportunity. Listen, we're going to jump right in, guys. I want you to draw in, you know, really draw into what I'm going to share today. Uh, and disclaimer, uh, as I give this sermon, if you can't say amen, say ouch. If you're afraid to say ouch, then just smile and look straight ahead or at the cross and no one will know that what I said bothered you. Okay. And I give that disclaimer because we're going to have, uh, uh, I'm going to share some things with you guys today that is really going to maybe challenge your thinking or challenge your life application. Okay, so we know this weekend is the 4th of July weekend. Tomorrow we will be celebrating what our nation celebrates as our Independence Day, right? And even with all of our inconsistencies or even our problems that, that, that we go through and walk through, I still believe that this is the greatest country in the world. I do, right? But even with that declaration... I have to pose the question, what does living uh, in this country truly mean for the Christian? It says that we're one nation under God, right? But how does that play out? Well, let me ask it this way. Where should um, our ultimate allegiance lie? Right? For many, the answer to that question can get a little confusing. Okay? Um, You know, so some would say that the United States is a kingdom. Yet the Bible tells us about the kingdom of God, Jen. Do they stand separate or together? Are they intertwined? How does all of that work, right? Lots of questions to ponder when we consider this subject. But as believers, we must prioritize the following. The kingdom of God, which is the spiritual, over and above the kingdom of this world, which is the physical. Okay, and that's why today I want to talk to you about why I believe in the two kingdoms. So we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about the two kingdoms. Okay, and that being said, I'm just going to snatch the bandaid right off and we're going to jump right into this, Lauren. Okay, see, um, politics has become like a sport. Not a very well played or very entertaining sport, but a sport nonetheless. Stay with me. We aren't going to go where you probably think I'm about to go. But see, we follow politics the way we follow our favorite sports team, right? We care more about our side winning and our enemies losing than we care about good governance. Uh Uh-huh. Remember the disclaimer, ouch or amen. It's okay. Uh, In our nation, we embrace something called the separation of church and state, right? So, but just like the truth, just like tolerance, just like marriage, just like life as a whole, uh, it has gone through a lot of changes and challenges in the court of public opinion 
and in theory. Consider the two following views. The first is the historic view. See, the separation of church and state was was instituted or initiated, if you will, to keep the government from establishing a religious preference. See, the people back then saw how much turmoil and craziness cold would happen every time there was a new king and then their philosophies or ideologies were forced on the people. There was even bloodshed. Okay? So they wanted to avoid all of that. But this is based on the First Amendment. You know the First Amendment. Many of you probably can recite it word for word verbatim. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. See, the Constitution doesn't tell the church to stay out of politics, but it does tell the government to stay out of religion. However, this concept practice. Steve is a lot farther from where we actually are today. Yeah. See, consequently, the, 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 the government um, is to do what it wants to do over here, and then religion can exist to do whatever it wants to do in its manner over here, uh, but they're not to play in the same sandbox. That was the, the thought process, right? But we had the historic view. Then we had the modern view. Now let's look at the truth. (laughs) Based on the Bible, the Christian knows no such separation. Mm -hmm. God has always been involved in politics, period, hard stop, pause. Gasp if you must. Uh Uh-huh. Stay with me. Stay with me. We're going somewhere. See, the world is God's sandbox. We find politics in the Old Testament. Let me share with you where we find it. God positioned Joseph in authority in Egypt. You'll find that in chapter 41. God elevated Daniel to a position of prominence among the Babylonians and later with the Persians, and you'll find that in Daniel's chapters 1, 2, and 6. God positioned Nehemiah in the Persian government so he could rebuild his community. You remember Nehemiah and that wall? Yeah. But he positioned him there so he could use the resources, the, 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 the support, the funding if you will, of the government in order to make it happen. You'll find it in Nehemiah chapters 2 and 3. God made Esther queen in Persia and Deborah judge in Israel in order to accomplish his kingdom agenda. Judges chapters 4 and 5. In the nation of Israel, God established its constitution, its legal structure, and its laws that served as a model for other nations to replicate. Deuteronomy 4, 5 through 7. See, throughout First and Second Kings, First and Second Samuels, and First and Second Chronicles, God does some things. He establishes a king in one place, he judges another in another, and then he deposed, questioned yet another in Chronicles. See, based on the Old Testament, it's impossible to divide life down the middle with God on one side and the government on the other side because God was involved in all things. The Bible tells us that we are all under God. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his sovereignty rules over all. So quickly we went through the Old Testament and saw where government was. You could find the trace of it, right? And now we have to pivot to really kind of understand, Jeffrey, where did Jesus stand in this? During the Bible days, how was his walk impacted going to what was it that 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 he would do in these instances since most of us are followers of Christ? Yes, I said most 
I said it on purpose because not everyone that comes to church is a follower of Christ. Some people call themselves Christians but don't live a Christian lifestyle. And many of us sadly have experienced that over the past three years, that people that we went to church with or knew from church or from Christian experiences absolutely did not resemble Christians. That was for free. That wasn't in my notes. Okay? But it might help us to understand how things worked back then and where Jesus stood within the political system. I read this. I read this. It says, in politics, this visceral disdain for the other side is a poison that draws us away from Christ. It separates the children of God into us and them. It unleashes the darker side of our heart in ways that few other things can, even in Christians who normally operate out of love, compassion, and kindness in most other areas of their lives. See, we must be careful in our approach as Christians. After all, you can't uh, legislate morality. That would be so easy. That would fix everything if you could do that, right? The danger in Christian political movements per se is that they tend to make the gospel hostage to particular political agendas. You may wrap the cross in a flag and make God a prop of the state. And this is a grave danger. See, it's time for Christians to gain a proper perspective on things. So where do we start? I'm glad you asked. Great question. I know you guys know I like good questions. I say we start with Jesus. <laughs> I think that's the simplest way, that's the, and that's the most correct way. We just simply start with Jesus. Jesus taught his disciples and the crowds that followed what it meant to be a follower. He showed his love for them by loving them, by speaking to them, speaking with them, and healing them. Sarah? The problem was then that the religious leaders had, a, had an issue. See, they believed that if they didn't figure out how to get control of Jesus, that his lifestyle and his teachings would impact the culture. <laughs> Guess what? It still did. <laughs> right? It still impacted the culture. Their solution? Kill him. That was their solution. You know the story, the religious leaders, they devised this plan and they, 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 they struck a deal with one of his, his followers and then they arrested him in the Garden of Gethsemane. Funny thing about the Garden of Gethsemane, the very one that betrayed him, Jesus called him friend in that moment. You know, Peter cuts the, the ear off the centurion and, and then Jesus puts it back on and then he tells him that, 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 that those who live by the sword die by the sword. But then he calls Judas friend. He said, friend, come do what you came to do. Don't you find that odd? How often do you call your betrayer friend? But how often do you find that your friend has been the betrayer? Mm -hmm. Then they held this secret trial where they found him guilty. But the other problem they had is that they didn't actually have authority, Alex, to do what they did. So... Miss Amy, here's what they did. They, they took Jesus to the government where a man named Pilate was ruling the day. Mm -hmm. They figured he could do what they wanted him to do. So it was there that Pilate asked Jesus uh, what wrong he had done. And Jesus responded simply by saying this. He says, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my, servant, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. But now my kingdom is from another place. See, here we see that there are two kingdoms, one physical and one spiritual. Jesus 
as much as said so, right? See, there is the earthly kingdom here that we can see, that we can touch. And then there is the spiritual kingdom that is everywhere. Mm -hmm. See, the phrase kingdom of God is also referred to as the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of light. It's found uh, at least 80 times in the New Testament. Mm -hmm. Most of these references occur in the Gospels of Matthew, um, Mark, and Luke. And while the Old Testament doesn't use that exact term, there are many instances where throughout the Old Testament that the kingdom of God is indeed mentioned or noted or referred to. So what is meant by this phrase, the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God can simply be summarized as the everlasting realm where God is sovereign and Jesus Christ rules forever. Mm -hmm. The kingdom of God is both present and future. Stay with me. Stay with me on this next one, right? See, the kingdom of God is here, but it's not yet come yet either. See, every unbeliever needs to understand this fact that there is a not yet of the kingdom. There's still a not yet. There's the tangible, then there's the not yet. See, uh, theologians and philosophers encourage uh, uh, even believers, just not non-believers, but believers to understand the difference that there is a not yet revelation of the kingdom. Because if you understand that, then you'll understand the gospels better, Allie. You'll understand revelation better. You'll understand the New Testament better, I dare say. Right? But that's a lesson for another day. But in our story, Jesus is before Pilate. One of my favorite accounts in the Bible. And I'll tell you why in just a second. Pilate asked Jesus, was he a king? Jesus answered, he said, you are right in saying I am a king. In fact, for this reason I was born and for this I came into the world. To testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Mm -hmm. Ask yourself, do you always listen to the truth? Or is sometimes the truth hard? I told you before that the truth is always the truth. It can, it can make you joyful. It can exhort you. It can make things happy. It can be wonderful. And that same truth can cut you like a knife. But guess what? It's still the truth. Right? So Jesus made it perfectly clear in his response that his kingdom was filled with truth and with power. So Pilate decides to test his power, Jessica. He tests his power. He says, um, don't you realize I have the power to either free you or crucify you? Pilate clearly thought he had the power, right? At least in his own mind. So... <laughs> Jesus responded simply saying this. This is my, one of my favorite passages in all of scripture. You would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. Full stop. We've all been told from day one that sin is sin. There is no big sin. There is no little sin. But our Savior, Jesus Christ himself, simply just said there is a greater sin. And we do not have time to talk about that today. <laughs> but you read that in John 19 and 11. It was on the screen. See, Jesus, Judas knew who Jesus was. He watched him perform miracles. He watched him heal the sick. He watched him raise the dead. But he still betrayed him for some pocket change. So we saw that the two kingdoms exist, the spiritual one and the physical one. And now we see that Within the two kingdoms, God delegates authority over the physical kingdom to whomever he chooses. 
See, the truth is every leader in government right now or every leader that's coming will have their position because God allows it. Some people think it's because of the vote, but it's because God allows it. Right? So, so, so hold on to that. See, they, they, they acquire their authority from the choice of God's hand. Mm-hmm. If they didn't and don't know or don't realize it, that's the truth. Right? Now, before Jesus' time, before he's interrogated, he's already got the reputation, Miss Tammy, of being a troublemaker already. Right? And the leaders on the left and the leaders on the right both found something they all could agree upon. We should clap for them. I was, I was being sarcastic. But such agreement is rare today. It's rare today. We can, we can see, I mean, they, the, the, the people on the right and the left will, will agree that we have a problem with our national debt. But they can't come into an agreement on how we should handle it. They agree that we have a problem with guns and access to guns, but they can't decide how to handle it. I mean, what should they do? But the leaders in that day, they figured out a way to come to an agreement about what they wanted. <laughs> they wanted Jesus gone. And they didn't care how they got there. They were like, you know, shaking hands, back, back door deals, back room deals. They were ready to make it happen. So they plotted and schemed with hopes that Jesus would fall into their trap. So they launched this trap. So later, they sent some of the Pharisees and Herodians to Jesus to catch him in his words. Plotting. They came to him and said, teacher, the people that don't believe in him called him teacher. We know that you are a man of integrity. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are, but you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. I don't know about you, but that sounded like they were buttering him up. That's what that sounded. It, sounded, it was flattery. They were, you know, trying to get close to him so they can, you know, get in. So they thought, Rob, so they thought, newsflash, if anybody who is normally opposed to you, you all of a sudden find that they cannot stop speaking good about you, Pat, <laughs> run, because it's a setup, okay? So after they pumped Jesus up, so they thought, then they sprung the deceptive question on him. They said, is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? Should we pay or shouldn't we? So Jesus sees right through it, right? He sees through it. Jemiah, he sees through it. He knows what they're trying to do because there's no way that two parties that never agree on anything agree to ask you this question, right? So after looking at it, he's, he looks at the coin and he goes, whose portrait is this? And whose inscription is this? Caesar's, they replied. So an added fact for you guys that Caesar's image was impressioned upon the coins, not just because he was the emperor, but also because the emperors in the Roman culture were elevated to the point of gods, lower G. So after hearing their answer, Jesus gave his response. He simply says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. He hit them with a zinger. They weren't ready for that. They were like, we just know he's going to say don't pay the tax. But in his response, he gave two statements. Be responsible to the government rule that's over you. But the second part of his statement was really him saying, you know that uh, Caesar's not God. That's really what he was doing. So thus far, we've learned that there are two kingdoms that exist. 
one physical and one spiritual. And we have learned that God delegates authority to the physical kingdom to whomever he chooses or to whomever he allows. And now we learn that of these two kingdoms, every Christian is a citizen of both. Hmm. Now, while it sounds good for us to say, well, we citizen of both, it raises some critical questions. One being this, how does it work for us to be or those who want to be Christians while also being one of whatever the party names that you would throw out? How does that work? Am I an independent and a Christian? Am I a Democrat and a Christian? Am I a Republican and a, and a Christian? What, how does that work for me? See, in Roman society, you could worship whatever God you chose to. See, the culture then uh, embraced the mindset that, that everything worked <laughs> and everything was okay. See, today we live in a society where everything is acceptable. I call it the doctrine of acceptance. I can't accept what's not in God's word. I can't accept what God says I should be against. I will do my best to understand it, but my understanding is not condoning. Yeah, that was, that was an ouch. But that doctrine of acceptance is running wild. But in, this, in the face of pagan culture at that time, listen to what Paul advised them. He said, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. God is ultimately in control. Everyone, everyone should know that. We should believe that. We should walk in that. We should accept that, that God is ultimately in control. The apostle Paul wrote this. He said, consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right. But for those who do wrong, <laughs> do you want to be free from the fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right and you will be commended. The lesson here is simply obedience to your leaders brings blessings to your everyday life. Well, what do we do and how are we to vote if our government chooses to veto God's laws and replace them with their own? It's a sticky question for some, but for the believer, it should be easy because the, the response to such a situation should always be we are to model Christ in, by promoting Christ's mission. Whatever we're faced with, Felicity, I'm going to promote Christ. Whatever happens, I'm going to promote Christ. My answer is going to be God said. My answer is going to be the Bible says. My answer is going to be I'm convicted by the truth in the word. So I hear what you're saying, but I cannot comply. Submission does not mean agreement. Ooh. So Pastor DJ, how do we live out Christ's mission in this culture that we live in? Because see, right now, faith and culture is colliding everywhere around us. Everywhere around us, faith and culture is colliding. Number one, we have to pray for our governmental leaders. The Bible teaches us in 1 Timothy, it says, I urge you then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God, our Savior, who wants all people to be saved 
and to come to a knowledge of the truth. How many is all? All is all. There is no one that is, is kept out or moved out or not included in the all. The next thing that we must do or the thing that we can do to promote God's mission is simply this. Represent Jesus to everyone. Mm -hmm. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. We represented Jesus in, in, and showed our, shown our light. We, 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 we allowed our light to shine. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> this past weekend through VBS. Take a look at this video. Thanks for listening. You can stay connected throughout the week by following Montgomery Community Church on Facebook and Instagram. For more information about MCC, visit our website at mcc.church.